Well, we'll see how this goes. <clears throat> Daniel's right, a combination of singing in the first service and a cold and um, preaching in the first service. This sermon could get really, really short. We'll see if my voice holds, holds out. There's a Harvard psychologist and researcher, his name is Daniel Gilbert, and he opens his book called Stumbling on Happiness with what he calls the sentence. The sentence begins with these eight words. The human is the only animal that, fill in the blank. The human is the only animal that. And Gilbert, who's a secular uh, psychologist, argues that every professor needs to answer that sentence. He needs to finish that sentence. He finishes it by saying that the human being is the only animal that thinks about the future. Human beings think about the future in a way no other animal can, does, or ever has. And this simple, ordinary act, he says, is the defining feature of our humanity. Now, he says the average adult spends about 12% of the day thinking about the future, roughly one out of every eight hours thinking about the future, something that he says animals, no other animal does in that way, which makes me wonder, then why are all those squirrels gathering all those nuts if they don't think about the future? What? It, regardless, though, um, today we want to do something very, very human, um, and that is think about the future. Specifically, we want to think about the future of North Wake. Last week, we looked at the things that God has done, and today we want to talk about things that I believe God longs to do through us in the future. Every once in a while, someone will ask me, what's next at North Wake? And we've got lots of options. We could go all mega church, and we could buy more land and build more buildings and gyms and schools and coffee shops and whatever else you need to have to have a mega church. Um, that's usually not what I dream about when I dream about North Wake. We could go all multi-site, and that's where you beam me around to different churches, and they watch me on TV on Sunday morning. That is definitely not what I dream about when I dream about the future of Northwake. There are churches that do those things beautifully. I thank God for them. But when I dream about Northwake, what I'm most excited about is not really our shape or our size. It's more about our DNA, um, or you could say it's about our heart. I want us to be a church that increasingly, rather than pursuing greatness, we want to give it away. We want to make everyone around us great. It's not about, about us getting more or getting bigger or a bigger reputation. It's about, as, as God told Abraham, you are blessed to be a blessing. And I hope that that's what God, I, I know that's what God would delight in for us as a church. A couple of scriptures come to mind as I think about these kinds of things. There's, an, there's a statement in John chapter 3 that's real interesting. It's made by John the Baptist, whom Jesus called the greatest man ever born of woman. And this is what he says of Jesus. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above, he's talking about Jesus, is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way, but he who comes from heaven is above all. And so my great hope is that rather than a concern for our reputation, 
we'll be concerned about Jesus' reputation. And we will give ourselves to exalting and honoring Jesus. Another passage that makes me think along these lines is one that's shaped us as a church for a long time is this one in Philippians. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Consider others, he says, more significant or more important than yourselves. So my, my hope is that North Wake would increasingly be a church that considers others greater than themselves, that seeks to bless others, that we would bless other churches, that we would bless our community, that we would bless other ministries, that we would bless other people, and we would be about giving away greatness to them. We have, indeed, as God said to Abram, we've been blessed to be a blessing, I believe. And of course, that heart of blessing, it could take a lot of different shapes and pathways. And so what I'd like to do today is share with you three, three of those shapes that I believe would thrill God if we would grow in these areas. You know, I've watched God at work in our church for about 27 years now. And um, these seem to me to be three things, three of, I'm sure, many that will give God pleasure in the next season here at North Wake. So, if you're a guest today, um, you're going to get an, a kind of an unusual sermon today. Normally, we open the Bible to a single place, and we try to figure it out together. Um, today, we're going to be kind of in different places all throughout the Bible, but I still hope it will be an encouragement to you as you join us. So uh, let me pray for us, and we'll walk through these three things together. Father, have mercy upon us now. I pray that my voice would be strong, not for my words to be heard, but yours, your heart what you love about our church and what you long for in it. So may we be encouraged and strengthened in our resolve and our faithfulness to you this day. Jesus, you are worthy. Amen. All right, first thing I think God really wants Northwake to continue to do and to do even more in this next season that we're entering into as a church family has to do with sharing the good news of Jesus amongst those who are yet to hear, so that, so that all peoples would hear. And you, you pick up this flavor, especially in the book of Revelation. It's kind of what everything's moving towards. In Revelation 5, they're singing a song. And the song goes like this. Worthy are you, Jesus, to take the scroll, to open its seals, for you were slain by your blood. You ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. If you flip the page in your Bible in chapter 7, you find the same language. John looks and he sees a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Turn a couple more pages to chapter 14 in Revelation. You hear the same thing. He says, I saw an angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth to every nation and tribe, and language, and people. And it seems that God has a special joy in all the diverse peoples of the world being brought to rejoice and worship in his presence. 
And there are a lot of reasons that people have proposed for why, why it matters that there are people from every different tribe and every different language around God's throne. John Piper beautifully champions that he thinks that it's because God is worthy of that kind of diverse glory. I kind of think that it's also because God's, the scope of God's love just demands it. You know, Scripture says he loves the world, the whole world. And he wants people from every different tribe and language there as a reflection of his love for them. There's a missionary, Dick Brogdon, and he presents a really vivid portrayal of another reason why it is that God longs for all peoples to come to know him. And it has to do with the beauty of the church. And I'll let you listen just for a couple minutes to him as he shares it. Watch up on the screen. Apostleship is not to be rendered in the shadow of a thousand steeples. Our partnership must take us arm in arm, bended knee to bended knee, into the shadowlands, to the Libyas, and to the Iraqs, and to the Syrias, and the Somalias of the world. And we must witness and suffer and live and die in the most unstable of locations together. Our centennial celebration must be laced with mourning. As Lauren Triplett rightly said, we must measure ourselves by what is left undone. Jesus is coming for a beautiful bride, and yet as long as there are unreached peoples, the bride is still defigured. The Rashida are unreached, and the bride has no eye. The Pashtun are unreached, and the bride has no teeth. The Somali are unreached, and the bride has no hair. 1.6 billion Muslims are unreached and the bride has no ear. Hundreds of peoples across central Eurasia are unreached and the bride has no nose. This is a vital aspect of mission so little understood. Not only do absent peoples mar the church, absent peoples mar the image of Jesus. For the church doesn't have the fullness of Jesus until the fullness of the nations have him. And look at this image of a marred, incomplete bride. And yet, every time an unreached people group joins the fold, a new perspective of God is released into Christian corpus. Think of it. Turkmen of Central Asia are saved. We get our nose back. Muslims redeemed and we gain an ear. God is glorified by the Somali and our head is adorned with hair. The gospel progresses across the pustoon and we get our teeth. The Rashida respond to the glory of God and we gain an eye. The church is beautified by the spread of the gospel. So Jesus loves these people. These are, these are the ones he longs to be his bride, to know him intimately as their savior. And as we'll see in just a minute, they have no way, many of them, to even hear. And it grieves him that they do not know him. You know, missiologists, the scholars who study these things, um, speak of these gospelless tribes and languages and peoples and nations, and they'll use a, uh, a little abbreviation, a, a UPG, a UPG, not the Unemployed Philosophers Guild. That stands for Unreached People Groups. And um, I'd like you to watch a short explanation of it because I think it'll help us this morning. Uh, plus, I think you get credit at Southeastern if you watch this video. So watch just a couple minutes. Watch this closely with me uh, and see what you learn. 
What is a UPG? UPG stands for Unreached People Group, but to understand what that means, we need to first talk about people groups. When Jesus told his followers, go and make disciples of all nations, the Greek words he used were ta ethne, meaning all ethnic groups or people groups. So what is a people group? A people group is basically a group of individuals that have a common sense of history, language, beliefs, and identity. It is pretty much a group of people that considers us, us, and everyone else, them. While there are about 196 countries in the world today, there are over 16,000 distinct people groups. Let's look at Pakistan as an example. That is one nation going by our English word, but ethnically Pakistan has over 400 distinct nations, or people groups, within its borders. Around 7,000 of those 16,000 total people groups are considered UPGs, or unreached people groups. A group is considered unreached if less than 2% of their population is evangelical Christian. That is, it has too few true believers to evangelize and disciple the rest of the people group. Almost 3 billion people fall into this category. Over 3,000 of those 7,000 unreached people groups are considered UUPGs, or unengaged unreached people groups. These people groups have no churches, no believers, no missionaries, and no one actively focused on engaging them. 95% of all unreached people groups are located in the part of the world between 10 degrees latitude and 40 degrees latitude stretching from North Africa to Southeast Asia. We call this the 1040 window. It's in the 1040 window that most of the major non-Christian religions hold sway. Collectively, they are known as the Thumb People, tribal, Hindu, unreligious, including many Chinese, Muslim, and Buddhist. Jesus said that the gospel of the kingdom would be preached as a testimony to Ta Ethne, all people groups, and then the end would come. Less than 3% of our total cross-cultural missionary force is working with unreached people groups. We must go to the unreached. At the same time, it's estimated that over 350 unreached people groups are living in the United States today as immigrants, refugees, and international students. We must welcome the unreached. Christ commands us to make disciples of all nations. Jesus is alive. His mission for us is clear, yet the task stands incomplete. Together, we can change that. There's a couple reasons I wanted you to watch that little short video. Um, did you notice that there are three billion people who lived amongst these unreached people groups? It's extraordinarily difficult for them to hear the good news of Jesus. And there's about 220 million people who live amongst those unreached, unengaged people groups. Um, and they have literally no way. There are no believers, there's no church, there's no Bible. Um, they have no, tr no access to the gospel, to the good news about who Jesus is. And in that 1040 window there, where they, he said they were thumb peoples, um, only about one, he said, out of every 30 missionaries works in that window, the, even though there's so many there who don't know about Jesus. Um, here's the thing. One out of 30 missionaries work in that window. But by my count at North Wake, we have about 35 who are sent out from our church family. 27 of those are, 
international or cross-cultural, um, 25 of our 27 are either in that window or working with those thumb peoples to help them understand that they are loved by Jesus. So this is a thing that God seems to love and he seems to love doing at North Wake is to help us take the good news of his son to these people who are yet to hear. Um, so just this week I got a report from one of our folks who are living in India. She engages with a lot of people that are working with these um, UUPGs. I always call them uber unreached people groups. They don't have anybody to tell them about Jesus. But she says, after hearing the gospel for the first time and being gripped by the truth of the message, a lady from one of those UUPGs, uber unreached peoples, who uh, they're historically Hindu where she lives, um, she uh, came to believe in Jesus and immediately went to share with her family. Her husband and son believed and followed, but her other children despised and rejected them. Um, the other children turned the three new believers out of the house. They lost their jobs. She says, pray for these three new believers as they continue to share truth and those, with those they encounter, even at personal consequence. She says, they are seriously on fire for Jesus Christ. And my hope is that this next season at North Wake, as we have more and more resources freed up because our, our facility's debt is paid for, we'll be able to fuel this kind of, of outreach to people who haven't heard about Jesus yet all the more, that our resources will go all the more to those things. So that's the first thing. The second thing I believe that God longs to do with us as a church is I think he would delight for us to plant more churches out of our church family here in the U.S. Um, I don't know if you know, you are worshiping in a church plant this morning. North Wake is a church plant. Uh, it was planted by uh, a group of believers out of Providence Baptist Church in Raleigh. And everything that you delight in here at North Wake is because somebody back in 1989, two of them were Stuart and Ann Bullman, one of our elders, um, <clears throat> decided to plant a church in Wake Forest. And, you know, you read through the book of Acts, and planting churches is one of God's favorite methods to spread the gospel, it seems, just as you watch what happens in the book of Acts. The apostle Paul was involved by one count, maybe between 15 and 20, engaging, uh, involved in 20, 15 and 20 church plants. Um, and what we refer to as the church's great commission that Jesus gave to us um, says... Um, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. There's that language of nations again. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And when he says baptizing them, right away you get the idea that we are to be enfolding them into the church. Baptism is what churches do as they welcome people into the life of Christ. Church planning is one of those beautiful ways to fulfill this commission and to embrace our calling that Jesus gave us in John 20. He says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Author and pastor Tim Keller talks about the unique effectiveness of church plants in reaching people that other churches have not been able to reach with the good news of Jesus. He says that there are dozens, dozens of studies that have confirmed that the average new church gains most of its new members 
about 60 to 80% from the ranks of people who are not attending any worshiping body, while churches over 10 to 15 years of age gain 80 to 90% of new members by transfer from other congregations. One, uh, one writer called that rearranging the furniture in God's kingdom, right? Um, missiologist Peter Wagner says that planting new churches is the most effective evangelistic methodology known under heaven. And it's needed in our country. Do you know that uh, I saw one statistic that um, only 18% of Americans regularly attend church. 18%. Um, the need is great. But the, really the best rationale for why we should plant churches, I think, uh, comes from one of our, our daughter churches, Exchange Church in Roseville. Watch this little clip about Jake. My name is Jake Thomas, and I've decided to follow Jesus Christ. My journey towards Jesus Christ probably started about a year and a half ago. Uh, I had an aunt who's very special to me pass away. And um, as her sons were recounting the way she acted uh, in the time preceding her death, um, which a lot of peace and lack of fear because uh, of her great faith in Jesus Christ. It really made me think about my mortality and my you know, life and death coming up and the big issues. And I, I, I must say I have a lot of uh, baggage from my past from trying to run my life by myself and um, a lot of sorrow and a guilt and um, shame that I wanted to kind of resolve and uh, have a reason for my life before I move forward. It sort of raised a question in my mind that kind of left me thinking I needed to, to talk to someone perhaps that could be enlightening to me. And I ran into a, a cousin of mine at a family get together, Ashok Notchnaini, who somebody I have a lot of respect for and I had heard that he had, he had become a strong believer. And I just mentioned to him that maybe I could perhaps talk to him about it sometime. Some, some time passed and I got a call from Ashok and I, he wanted to meet and uh, if I wanted to talk, he was up for it. Um, you know, I had posed to him some problems that I had with what I perceived as Christians, which later on proved to be ignorance on my part or, or misconceptions. But Ashok said, get past that and um, first learn about Jesus. I was curious about Jesus, but I had a lot of misconceptions about Jesus. And um, Ashok pretty much, he, he gave me my first Bible and we read some together. Um, it began to make more and more sense to me. We read more together. We started praying together. And um, Ashok just to kept, he kept encouraging me. And as Jesus became more real for me over time, that kind of naturally led towards Ashok thought I needed to go to a church. And he found a local church for me that was recommended to him as a solid Bible-based church. And that was the Exchange Church. And um, you know, that's been a new chapter for me. Um, we went together for the first time, and uh, I was very impressed with the gospel as preached by Brian, and um, it made me want to return. And uh, I've subsequently been going for many months, and every time I go, I feel a little closer to, to God and to Jesus, and I haven't left once where I didn't feel like I was a better person for it. It, it was at this time that it really began to hit me that I really needed Jesus. I could not do this on my own. Jesus became real for me, 
and I realize there's no way a human person can get out of this life um, by their own self. We are way too small. Jesus is the answer for me. And it, um, it's the only way I can feel like I can be saved. I'm a fractured person, and no human I know of can, can even begin to handle what's going on in this life. It's something much larger than us. And uh, that feeling really hit me that Jesus was the answer for me. So Northlake has planted six churches now around our, around our nation, um, one in Washington, D.C. You prayed for them earlier today, well, one in Tampa, Florida, Exchange Church in Rollsville, uh, one in North Raleigh, one in Martinsville, Virginia, and we've adopted, have an adopted daughter out in Portland, Oregon now, and we're expecting the birth of our seventh daughter church next year um, in Denver, Colorado, Lord willing, and you know, these are beautiful expressions of the body of Christ. And stories like this keep coming in from those churches that are beautiful about how God's using them. With all of the young pastors we have here, with all of the mature Christians we have here who have mobility in their work, um, I just feel like God wants us to do more of this, to send more beautiful expressions of the bride of Christ to cities where it's needed. That it keeps kind of bumping into us, so... There's a young couple in our church. Um, they've been here this summer, uh, Guthrie and Karis Musser. I don't know if you got to meet them while they're here. Today was their last Sunday. Now, this is Gene uh, and Liz, who was formerly known as Maxine Ostby. Um, it's their granddaughter. Now, their son, Dana, is one of our missionaries in Indonesia. This is his daughter. And by the rudeness of England, they got kicked out because they wouldn't let her get a visa. They came to the United States. They've been here with us this summer. She finally got, they were in one of our small groups. They finally got a, a visa, and now they're being sent back to England to help a church plant in England. And so we've built relationships with them. We're getting to know them. We're encouraging them. God just seems to be bringing us people like this who have this passion on their hearts. It is extremely difficult to plant new churches. I would call it warfare. There was a study that was done a number of years ago about the 90s and the growth of different religions in the United States. Christianity grew 5%, but non-religious non and secular grew 110%. Islam grew 109%. Buddhism, 170%. Hinduism, 230%. Even the Unitarian Universalists grew 25%. Um, there is a battle in our country raging for the souls of people we love and Jesus loves. And planting new churches, I believe, is right at the heart of this battle so there are people near them who can share his love with them. You know, um, many of our church plants work with the North American Mission Board and it's a wonderful organization that does beautiful work in church planning, but even that organization who is so good at this 30% of their church plants don't make it past four years. Um, and one of the reasons it's consistently near the top is that um, these church plants are underfunded. And so my hope is that once JOF is completed, we can multiply and bless our church plants in ways that truly helps them thrive and uh, focus on the work that God has called them to do. 
So we want to let people know about Jesus who've never heard. We want to plant churches. And one last thing I'll mention to you today that I believe God would love to do through us is that we would love our neighbors even better than we do, especially those who are in need. Um, Luke 10 contains this beautiful story, encounter between Jesus and a lawyer. It's probably more like a professor. He's an expert in the Old Testament. The question is, how do, Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus' answer with this discussion with this attorney turns around the ideas of loving God and loving neighbor, to which the attorney says in verse 29, but desiring to justify himself, he said to Jesus, so who's my neighbor? And Jesus, as he loves to do, he answers um, his question with a story. And he tells a story. We know it as the Good Samaritan. Um, this fellow is traveling along a really dangerous road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And uh, he is the neighbor, the first neighbor in our story. He gets mugged and robbed, beaten and left half dead by the roadside. But the good news is a priest comes along. He's the expected hero of the story. He'd be kind of like a senior pastor. And he comes along and everybody thinks it's going to end well, but he just goes to the other side of the road and passes by his neighbor. Well, uh, then a Levite comes along. He's kind of like an associate pastor. And he comes by, and again, you think he's going to care for the man, but he passes by on the other side of the road as well. And this guy's having the worst day of his life, this neighbor. He's been mugged and robbed and beaten, and the entire church staff has passed by on the other side of the road. No one wants to help him. But then along comes someone Jesus identifies as a Samaritan. And a Samaritan was a a racial half-breed, an outcast in the eyes of the Jews, um, a heretic in terms of what they believed. But he stops. And not only does he stop, he cares. And he cares enough to take action and to tend to the man's wounds, to put him up in a local inn, and to foot the bill. And once Jesus and this lawyer have agreed that this Samaritan truly did do the neighborly thing for this guy, Jesus has just one instruction for this attorney. He says, you go and do likewise. You, you go and, and do likewise. And what Jesus has done here, it's interesting, when you go back to his initial question, who's my neighbor? We don't know anything about the neighbor in this story. We don't know if he was white or black or rich or poor or a Jew or a Samaritan or a Gentile. We don't know anything about him except for one thing. We know that he was in need. And he was suffering. And Jesus calls us to love him. And so I think, I think this is what God is longing to do for us, is with us, is to love our neighbors even more, especially those who are suffering. The heartache of a son given over to drug addiction or the pain of a betrayal in a marriage or the burden of caring for aging parents when you can barely make it on your own, the ache of loneliness and depression, these and many, many more are the sufferings of our neighbors. And I believe God wants to continue to grow beautiful ministries here in our community that love people where they are at in all of their suffering. And one of those I mentioned to you last week is called Hope Counseling. And Craig Morissette heads that up. And I've asked Craig to share with you a little bit about what God's doing and how he's using uh, Hope Counseling. One of the most compelling reasons for a ministry like Hope came from the mouth of a writer who said, 
I feel the church can help me with my problem with hell, but not my problem with anxiety or my eroding marriage. Hope is aiming to meet people where they really live in the everyday struggles. In late 2014, I approached the elders and asked if they would allow me to raise financial support and give full-time direction to this ministry, a ministry that I love. They agreed, and so the Lord has faithfully provided financially for my family and I for the past four years to put hand to plow and invest in Hope Counseling. That alone is an incredible testimony of God's faithfulness and care. Hope consists entirely of volunteers from this church, volunteers who work jobs, have families, and plenty of responsibilities. But they graciously give of their time to meet with and love individuals who have few resources available to them for help or care. Presently, there are 19 trained Hope volunteer counselors at North Wake, but only four men and four women of those volunteers are available to counsel through Hope currently. Typically, one case at a time. This naturally creates a waiting list. At one time, we had as many as 10 people waiting to speak with a counselor. We certainly need more help. Since Hope's inception, more than 130 individuals have committed themselves to completing the basic counseling training that we offer. This is no small commitment. It involves more than 16 hours of instruction with additional practicums, reading, and homework. Those individuals are serving in ministry all over the world, both domestically and internationally. Many of them are missionaries we support as a church. With only a sign on the street, a website, and eight volunteer counselors, many people contact Hope each week for help. Just this week, we received calls from people that were in the midst of marital crisis from an affair, domestic abuse, suicidal thinking, grief, and trauma, all wanting to speak with someone who could show them Christ in the midst of their despair. Last year, Hope Volunteers gave away approximately 40 hours a month of free Christ-centered counseling. Every year, we see marriages healed, restored, and enriched. We see people depressed get up and out. We see people overcome anxieties and all manner of emotional challenges. We see people come to faith in Christ. In counseling, the soil is so rich for the gospel. In 2014, we started a group counseling ministry called Living Waters that focuses on sexual and relational brokenness. In collaboration with Providence Church, we have eight trained leaders providing focused groups to men and women. Over the last three years, Living Waters has counseled approximately 42 individuals through a vast range of challenges. God willing, in 2019, we're looking to lock arms with Summit Church and begin another group counseling ministry called G4. This has the potential to utilize our resources better and extend care to even more people over a broad range of emotional and relational challenges. While stats are nice, the best way for you to get a sense for how the Lord is using hope is to hear from some of the counselees themselves. I asked a few if they would be willing to write without any identifying information, in their own words, how they would describe their experience with hope and what they might want you, the people of North Wake, to know. I would like to read just one of the responses I received. 
And she writes, After 25 years of marriage, I discovered my husband was having multiple affairs with women in our church. Women I knew worked and worshipped alongside. In the past, he had sabotaged all efforts for marriage counseling, and I lacked the support needed to cope with this news on my own. So I realized I needed individual counseling. I was experiencing domestic abuse in every way, but especially physically, emotionally, verbally, and financially. I chose the Hope Counseling Center for Care because it offered free Christian counseling to the community. The help I received from Hope was tremendous. Based upon the treatment I received from my husband, I believe that God only loved men. In the past, my husband led me to believe that the ownership to fix the marriage was always my responsibility as a wife to be better and more loving, that it was ultimately upon my shoulders to get my husband to love me as he should. My counselor was kind and understanding about my situation, but challenged this view from the scriptures. My counselor appropriately placed blame and responsibility for the abuse in the marriage, on my husband, not on me. I learned that domestic abuse was more than physical abuse. My hope was restored in church leadership after my experience with hope. The Wake Forest community needs this beacon of light offered by hope. It's like nothing I have ever experienced in Raleigh since relocating here 20 years ago. I have happily recommended hope because of the care I received. Church, that is the greatest compliment this ministry could receive. Hurting people testifying that God used hope to meet them where they are, counsel them wisely, and introduce them to the abiding love of Jesus Christ. She learned that Jesus Christ dies for his bride, that he came to serve, not be served. He doesn't abuse, but was abused. He doesn't make slaves but rather servants. Lastly, I want to share this brief story. An unmarried couple came to us for help on a referral from a former Hope counselee. This couple had several children and were living together. They felt that their greatest problem was arguing and deep conflict inside their relationship. Over the course of their counseling, they heard the gospel and became convicted. After some reflecting, they decided it was more honoring to God to pursue marriage than to continue living together. They began premarital counseling and asked their counselor to officiate the wedding, which he eventually did. This is the kind of thing God does through this ministry. We sit ringside and get to see God rescue people from their own sin or watch Christ comfort and restore those suffering from another sin. It's exciting. It is challenging, but most of all, it is a privilege. As believers, we have hope because he loved us enough to live with us, as us, and among us in order to rescue, redeem, and restore us. And as we sang today, when hope which was lost has been renewed. Thank you, North Wake for encouraging this ministry and supporting our efforts to bring Christ to those in great need.
You know, it's just one of uh, a lot of budding ministries that God seems to be raising up to do this very thing, to love our neighbors when they are most in need of, of Christ. Um, you know, Jesus tells us, sell your possessions, give to the needy. He wants us to love those who are in need. Um, you know, if we go back to Luke chapter 10, the very end of that story about the Samaritan, it ends this way. And Jesus asks the, the lawyer this question, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer answered, the one who showed him mercy. And so while Jesus has answered the question, who is my neighbor, now he changes it. And really the question is, what kind of a neighbor am I? Um, and I think God wants us to be the kinds of neighbors who share the love of Jesus in word and deed with people who are greatly suffering <laughs> here in our community and, and around the world. Um, and when this next season, as we finish up JOF and we have more and more resources to give to these kind of things, um, I think God would love for us to use those resources to fuel things like Hope Counseling and other, other ministries like that. So sharing the love of Jesus with those around the world who have never heard, planning churches, new churches here in our cities in the United States, Loving our neighbors in word and deed who are suffering greatly. Uh, these are just three things that come to my mind when I think about what's next at North Wake. What does God want to do with us at North Wake? Um, it's just my take. You've probably got maybe even more beautiful dreams or, or dreams that you see fitting right in the midst of one of those kind of things. Um, all the more we'll do those even next year as we finish off this journey of faith uh, commitment that we've made. Now, towards that end, about 30 of our leaders have already made their commitments for the coming year. This is about an eighth of our church, and they have, they have given half of what we need, about $70,000 they've pledged, uh, for what we need to be debt-free by the end of 2019. So an, an eighth of our church has already pledged half of what we need. If you'll join us, uh, we're going to crush this debt, and we'll be giving resources away to ministries like we're talking about today much earlier than the, two year, the end of 2019. So next week, I hope you'll join us. Bring your commitment as an act of worship to God for the sacrifice you want to make in 2019 to help us be debt-free and begin to give generously to these kinds of things. Um, so if you would, let's close our service. I want to invite you to stand and let's, in song, even as we do with our lives, give Jesus all the glory. So let's close with worship of Jesus. <clears throat>